0: Welcome to the Chasing Brighter podcast, a show about self-discovery and lifestyle tips for moms. We are your hosts. I'm Kelly, a wife, mom of two, and an independent consultant with my own company in Chicago. And I'm Jessica, a wife, mom of three,
1: and owner of my own outpatient mental health practice in Nevada. You're about to go on a journey of self-discovery as we chase a brighter you. Every single week, we will bring you new episodes that will cover everything from lifestyle and tips to more serious
0: conversations about grief,
1: life, and hardships.
0: Whether it's a duo episode or we have a guest, you are guaranteed to pick up a new tool or feel less alone. This one is for the moms that have forgotten how to make time to keep their spark alive. Allow this show to be a reminder to always keep chasing a brighter version of you. Let's get into it. In today's episode, we
1: interview Alexander Linderman. Alex is a clinical professional counselor intern and a multifaceted educator and coach. Currently, he is diving deeper into psychology as a doctoral student at Toro University Worldwide as well as owning Building Hope Counseling and Coaching. He provides therapeutic counseling for those seeking emotional and relational balance, coaching for individuals yearning for career fulfillment, and tailored educational services to navigate the complex landscape of parenting and more. With an empathetic ear and a toolkit of evidence-based strategies, he guides his clients into creating individual plans for a more fulfilling life. On a personal note, Alex is a dedicated father of six beautiful children, each of whom adds unique dimensions to his understanding of parenting, ranging from two months to pre-teens. This family experience enriches his professional insight into relationship dynamics and the nuances of parenting. We have invited Alex here today to talk about his tips for parenting teens he currently offers a course, Parenting with Purpose. As we began our talk with Alex, he shared a personal story. After working in education for over 10 years, about five years ago, he and his previous wife experienced a loss of their child at 17 weeks pregnant. The response that his wife got was overwhelming with support and love. However, Alex was noticing that people were not acknowledging his own grief in this experience most of the
2: time i would say the majority of the time people surround women when they lose a child when pregnancy and Mm -hmm. that was but that was my experience people would literally walk over me anywhere i went and went through a pretty big bout of depression at that time, and I saw the men too at the time. I started realizing that people in my church outside were experiencing similar things, Opening my eyes uh, and asking other men, hey, did you experience this too? And I said, yeah, like I felt lonely too. It was a really slow process during that time. And it was really eye-opening to experience that because in our society, it's really women experience this.
1: Yeah, incredible. the loss, like, the loss of the pregnant woman and not thinking about the grief of the whole family. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes.
2: that exactly. we're, we're absolutely right because like my kids even still we have an autistic son and I'll we'll still talk about it all the time. And even my other children, I have four other children with my ex and my kids and they still talk about their brother. And so this was plain, you know. And I realized I needed a platform to men or talk about this not to bolster myself or anything, but i need, they needed support like they, mm-hmm. somebody needed to talk about it and break down the stereotypes men can't have emotions men can't talk about grief in this particular area and then i was like we need hope when i started having hope for myself that's what i needed when i was like i need my own practice essentially and That's what I did. So I built that platform. I started putting my name out there, writing blogs, and that's what created w
1: And you wear many hats or have gone to school a lot because you said you started in education. and I know you're in a doctoral program right now, correct? That is true. I'm in a
2: doctoral program for human organizational psychology uh, at Toro University Worldwide right now. Mm -hmm. Started that program about six months ago. Yeah.
1: And when you started this kind of like grief support or, or support for men, um, then did you go get another master's or a master's?
2: I was finishing my, my master's in education at that time. Mm-hmm. And when COVID was happening, I started my master's in counseling. Never really stopped going to school. So it's yeah. kind of just a long journey.
1: Yeah. Kelly and I are lifelong learners. We're like crazy readers. And I think, right, hopefully that never stops for many of us, whether we're actually getting a degree or not. But I think that's so great. And I think that happens to a lot of us where we've talked before, but it's like you see a need and fill a need. Yes. And then you start doing that and you're realizing like, oh, wait, I need to know a little bit more about this or Mm -hmm. I need to have certain certifications or whatever to be able to fulfill what I'm trying to do so right now with building help like what services are you providing
2: now I'm doing on the therapy I also do coaching and that's been my niche with doctorates that I'm pursuing I do a lot of blogs as you've seen and that's it right at the moment but I'd like to do more but that's
1: yeah yeah you have you're in school you have a business and then you have six kids
2: yes I've got four with- Previous wife, and I've got twins that live in Peru.
1: Okay, yeah. So you have a lot going on. I do. And one of the things that we saw was you had a, you have a course, or you've done a course for parents.
2: Yes, I, I created that course uh, for parenting in hopes that parents would come and understand that there's a aid out there to connect with your children and be empathetic. There's a lot of rhetoric out there of what to do, how to connect. I think the biggest struggle for me, I didn't always, I don't, I didn't think I was always a great parent. I'll be honest, like I, I'll be honest. I used to yell at my kids used I just spanked my kids and yeah, that's acceptable here in Nevada, but I don't do that anymore. A great book for Maha Parenting. It says, I'll, I'll paraphrase, it's how to stop yelling and start connecting with your kids. And it was great for me, actually. That's really when I started to connect with my kids more. I grew up with a parent that hit me with the bell and wasn't super consistent with me. And you know, everybody has trauma. I feel like growing up, not everybody, but a lot of people. Yeah. But so I was like, I want to change that. I need to change that experience for my kids. And so I read some great books from that company. MahaParenting.com. I'm not a sponsor for them or anything, but (laughs) they're a great resource. When I started learning about that, I realized I needed to give that to um, my clients, and that's why I created that course, was to help people really connect with their children.
1: Yeah. I used to have to teach parenting classes or parenting things without actually being a parent. And and I remember just reading a lot about physical punishment. And I want to say that they've done study after study that, that physical punishment only leads to, like, shame of the child, more anger of the child, and the child being more aggressive. But 75% of American households still spank or use physical punishment for their children. And so I remember being, like, horrified, not having kids. Like, why would you ever hurt your kid? You know, I was, like, a children's advocate. I was doing all this stuff. And then I have kids, and I've never spanked kids with so, like. I want to. <laughs>
2: it's hard. It's hard to not want to. You're like, you're driving me crazy, right? You have yeah, this feeling. Yeah, well,
0: but I Yeah. I spanked my kids when they were younger. I think you learn as a younger parent, early parent, it's so ineffective. I mean, it doesn't. That was what I learned. It doesn't well, I think, do yeah. anything. Yeah. I think
1: it's about you. Yeah. When people are like, oh, I'm going to spank my kid to teach him a lesson. It's, I would be spanking out of pure anger and loss of control yeah. for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I want to spank them, I'm not in a good headspace. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so if that would doesn't even make any sense. Or like, you know, I've seen people in public for feet, but they're like spanking their kids and telling them to stop crying. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, Yeah.
2: So that makes any sense. Or I think that's what is society telling you as a parent if your kid is acting out. That's the issue that they're taking on themselves as a parent, that if my kid acts out, then I am a bad parent. Same thing in, in session. If a kid gets a diagnosis or something that I'm a bad parent, or if a kid does something that's conduct related, that I'm a bad parent or a kid gets a bad grade in school, then I'm a bad parent. This constant rhetoric labeling that parents put on themselves, I'm a bad Mm -hmm. parent. It could be traditionally, it could be culturally, it could be self-perception. Getting rid of those labels is, is what parents need to do. And that's teaching the parenting classes, helping them see that it's really about connecting and understanding the child's needs and empathetically see them as a real person, getting rid of those labels is, is essential. And that's what they're doing to a lot of these parents.
0: I feel like our parents and that generation, there was one way to correct. It was through some sort of a physical and yelling and all of that. And now having multiple children, they don't respond the same either. And so trying to figure out What each child, how to meet them and meet their needs, especially when you're faced with a challenge. Like you said, Jess, sometimes you're just in a real bad headspace and you maybe nobody's perfect. It's so easy to yell. (laughs) It's a slippery slope. But it does very little. I want them to be good humans. I want to raise a good, caring, compassionate person to contribute to society. Yelling at them and teaching them to yell is not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Please stop yelling
2: as you're yelling. Yeah. So, wait a minute. That doesn't seem right. right. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm I I that is something that will continue to be a journey for me with the yelling. But I do I have like a I have never and will never name call my children. And I know that's my thing. And when I know that's again my issue, and then I have to recalibrate and be like, what went wrong there? And and one of the things we wanted to talk to you about specifically, you know, this month. Really like focusing on parenting teens. And do you have an opinion on how it might be a little bit different for us when our children transition into being teens?
2: Really what it comes down to is being empathetic and and, and prevention and not being reactive. And so it's giving opportunity to have a voice. When I've dealt with a lot of teenagers, my own sessions with clients, parents aren't being present. The biggest issue is not giving the teenagers a voice. They say something and they're not like, say, I really want this. I need this from you to be a better person. And the parents will totally ignore that. They won't listen. And the parent will think, I know better. I, I know what it's like to be a kid. So I know better than you. Telling you what they need and the parents not listening. It would be advantageous for a parent to sit down to listen and validate that child and actually listen and say, is it reasonable? Is the request reasonable? And if it is, do that thing because it's intrinsic when a child is saying, this is what I need from you. And and that relationship will, will leaps and bounds because a lot of kids don't have autonomy. When I saw that, I told you, Jessica, I worked at a high school. Kids would come in droves and say, I don't have autonomy in my home. Wow. How terrible. Honestly, it's surrounding all of these areas is support, community, autonomy, free age.
1: Yeah. I think, and I, I shared before, I, I was sharing with you that I saw adolescents, And so one of the things I saw so much when you talk about community, the kids I saw that were experiencing a lot of dysfunction was because they didn't have a community outside, right, outside the home or maybe not in school. And so I was always like, my kids are going to be in activities, not crazy, not a million activities, but like that they're going to find something that they're passionate about. And Kelly and I talk about this all the time, but I, I saw kids that would do something all the way. And then when we we're told, they're like, I don't want to do it anymore. And then they quit. And then I see them at 17 and they're like, I quit whatever piano and I regret it and it's too late and I can't do it. Or I quit baseball or whatever that is. And I know my two older kids both. One time, my daughter wanted to quit her sport. And so we were like, I was really listening to her. And so I would be like, we're going to change these, these few things and then let's give it two weeks and reevaluate and see where we're at. And then now she loves softball. She wants to go to college and softball. She's so passionate about softball. And I've seen my friends let their kids quit things. And not that I understand, listen, if we need to leave something because it's not in our best interest to thrive, totally get it. But it's like now my daughter, when, School isn't great, right? She's got these friends from softball all over, and she just has this support system of all of these people. And I do, I I had seen that in my practice, just as far as that community and those other people, other things that help them feel good about themselves.
0: So Alex, that being said, talking about autonomy, and hearing, Jesse, what you said, because I'm a little slow on the take, and I also am not like an expert like either of you, but what you're saying for teens is, is that it's good for them to have friends that have some sort of social network. But the autonomy piece, what does that mean? Is it their ability to take ownership of something? Or talk to me more about an example of what autonomy looks like.
2: So I'll give you an example with my children, and then I'll give you one or something else like outside my family. So my last year, my daughter wanted to do a candy business. And so I said, okay, I'll invest in you then. And so I, I bought her the candy. She made the money and then spent the money. Like she did a great job. My other kids, and they wanted to do that too. So instead of just giving them everything and we sat down, and I taught them finance. They're really invested. So this is autonomy, right? And school isn't going to teach them finance like I'm teaching them. So I said, okay, I'll give you this much candy. This is the profits. This is, you know, all the margins. You're talking about that. I said, I will give you the candy. You give me 20%. They all went out. They all are selling candy, they're doing an amazing job at doing it. And they come home and they report to me intrinsic motivation to do this. And I was actually surprised they all are doing very well. If I tell a, a child, whether it be a client or somebody else, hey, go write in a journal. I don't want to do that. They're not going to do it. You can speak till you're blue in the face and they're not ever do it. But if yeah. a child comes to you and says, I want to be on the swimming team. So intrinsically motivated child wants to do swimming. And you give them the opportunity to go, to find a way to do it. They're going to find a way. That's intrinsically motivated. So you say, okay, let's find a way to make it happen. I think that's really important. I think there's this there's this point where it does hard, and you say, okay, remember we talked about this? It's just like riding a bike. I always talk to my kids about riding a bike. It's really important. And I say, okay, well, when you fell down, did it? Did you just stop? No, I didn't. Okay. You kept going. What happened? What was the point of that? And they talk about it was fun, et cetera. Then we got to enjoy riding a bike. Great. It's the same concept. You are intrinsically motivated to ride a bike. Now you're swimming. You're intrinsically motivated. Let's go do that. The parent has to be involved. The parent has to put down Netflix, put down their laziness. What is the parent willing to sacrifice for the motivation of the child? And that will motivate them. To be successful.
1: I think that's like connection piece you're talking about too, right? If you're connected and listening, something I hear you saying, you can tell me if this is wrong. Talking about autonomy is something I notice. I've been telling Kelly I'm a chauffeur lately <laughs> and I don't feel like it. I'm tired. We're very busy. We're running all over the place. But when my kids are making plans to do something with their friends, I'm like, okay. They're like, here's what I want to do. Like my son, wanted to, he wanted to see his baseball friends and he wanted to see his best friends. So he's like, at 9 a.m., I'm going to go to this person's house until 2 and at 3. And so my husband talked about it. And so we did it, right? And so they're making these plans, but they don't have cars and they don't have Thank means to get there. <laughs> and so they're creating these plans. On, I'm going to get a ride there. And then if you can bring me home, is that a way to encourage autonomy?
2: That's great. I think also maybe if you're feeling stressed, it's important that they understand you're part of the team too. Yeah. And if they're not considering your needs as well as a parent, like they need to, because you're also part of the team. So I think it's understanding and telling them that they're a team as well. So like with your kids, for example, I would say, are you thinking about the team?
1: So I think it's like what you're saying is like autonomy and them being able to like voice their opinion and, 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 Make some plans, but with limits, with budgets, with timeframes, boundaries, et cetera.
2: I I think that's exactly right. Because when you don't give limits or budgets, et cetera, you have a parent that is limitless. And you create a child that doesn't understand the real world. Because once they get out of your home, there is limits and consequences. And they're going to be in the face with those limits. And you're not doing your job as a parent. To teach them limits.
1: Yeah, I think what you're talking about too is like communicating they're little humans. And so if you're like, I'm picking you up at 10 because I said so and that's what we're doing. But it's it's damaging to not validate where they're coming from to just at least hear them and say, okay, here, this is what you're saying and this is where we're coming from. Or like you're talking about like in the real world, this is this and this is that versus coming down and then not validating their experience.
2: We talk all the time. I think a lot of parents don't do that. And it's that opportunity to communicate. And a lot of parents are on their phone or social media. There's nothing wrong with social media. If you're spending eight hours or whatever and you're not connecting with your kids, that's a problem. I think you need to connect more. People need to connect.
1: I think that's scary. I think that's getting in the way of so much of us connecting. Sorry, Kelly, Sorry. if you want to keep going, I was just going to go on a tangent about
0: oh, a I'm a different tangent. <laughs> no, I was going to say that my oldest is 13, so I have a young teenager, but my youngest is fourth grade. They could care less about a lot of things that I find important or intriguing. For example, Beckett had soccer practice last Sunday, and it was the Chicago Marathon, and the course went right in front of his training facility. And so when he got done with training, we walked over and we stood there. And I was like, you got to cheer, like all these people, like this is, it was mile 19. And I was like, Beck, these people have been running 20, almost 20 miles. And I was like, look how fast you can imagine. This was like hour two. These are the real fast people going through. He was like, can we go now? And I was like, hold on, just watch these people, just cheer for a minute. They are all like running by themselves. And you're just like, to hear somebody cheering you has got to feel great, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, my point is, in that moment, he did not want to be there. But I would like to think that stuck with him and it will stick with him. And it's like those little moments, too, where even though you don't think your kid is paying attention, but when you're making a kind of a point to expose them to something that's not social media, just like real human life things, that it is a little bit of a connection and it hopefully is something that sticks with him. Kelly and I have talked about this. I know we talked about this on, on podcast
1: this month, but I think teenagers are like toddlers. And and I think I jokingly force myself on my kids to like hang out, put their phones away and blah, blah, blah. But I know they really do enjoy that. And um, I know that when I was a teenager, I think there were times where I was mean to my parents and pushed them away. But I really wanted them near me. And so I, I do think at, at all ages, they do want connection in different ways. But I think they want connection.
2: If you can start early and do preventative work and do exactly what you're saying, Jessica, they'll, they'll want to connect. And they'll want to be with you. Their children want to please at whatever age we're, we're bred to connect. Research shows this, we feel less pain when we are together as a people, as a tribe, so that's why we want to connect is we feel we're able to endure the pain of life when we're together. And if we make the pain less by not yelling and by connecting more, by making that experience less painful, then it's going to be even better. So make those experiences less painful and more enjoyable. And by doing board games, by going on walks, spending time together, it'll be such a better experience overall.
0: I love that point. That's really great.
1: Tina, I think as we summarize today, are there any other tips that you think our listeners that you'd like to give our listeners as far as it, as far as parenting goes?
2: I just think to remember to be the parent that you would want as a child want for yourself as a younger you and don't be the person that you didn't want as a parent right to parent your younger self that makes sense yeah the parent that you didn't you never wanted don't be guilty don't guilt yourself but be the person that you've always wanted to be as a parent and i think that goes to the frequency illusion that you were asking me about is that means to study about being a good parent And in order to do that, you have to embody what it means to be an effective parent. I think a lot of people don't take the time. to, And so if you can listen to the things we talked about today and hopefully you'll grab at least one thing, start with one thing and then practice that, get it really good. And then it's a new tool, new tip, and then don't overwhelm yourself because it can be a lot like parenting. It's hard at any stage.
1: Yeah, I I love that. And I think we, um, Again, I think that begins with internal work, right? Because if we're able mm-hmm. to pause, take care of ourselves, and be in the present moment, we can recognize what we needed and then be aware of that so we can give that and provide that to our children.
0: So that's great. Self
2: so cool. awareness is huge.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Alex. This was really awesome. Thank you so much. This was Less great to think I've- about. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: If you'd like to learn more about Alex, his courses, his practice, or connect with him for counseling or coaching, please check out his website, buildinghopenv.com, Nevada.com. You can find him on Facebook at Building Hope, on Twitter at b l d g h o p
0: e. And on Instagram at buildinghopenv. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe so you can hear our latest episodes as soon as they drop. If you love today's episode, please share with another mom.
1: And while you're there, it would be great if you gave us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to know more about Kelly and I, want to find more of our blogs, tips, tools, resources... Check that out at ChasingBrighter.com and we interact with you on Instagram and Facebook at Chasing Brighter. Thanks. We'll be here next week.